Hi, friends. How's it going? Welcome back.、Um, I hope you're having a good day so far. Morning, evening, whatever time of the day it is. I hope it's going well. Last week was crazy, and I don't even know why. I kind of think we're all heading into this like year-end stretch, and like the last. Two weeks, and then this week coming is just like so wild and busy, but like also slow at the same time. I don't know if I'm making sense. Like it just, oh, I cannot wait to just do nothing for a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks, but yeah, I went to Dominican Republic not last week, the week before. And it was so nice to be in the sun and just like not do anything. I have never in my life done a trip like that before because it was more like vacation and less travel, if that makes any sense.、Um, but yeah, it was so lovely, and I'm so grateful and thankful that I got to do that. And hopefully, I can do that sometime again soon.、Um, I really did need that time away. In the heat, just as like we're prepping here, it's already cold. I'm like cold to the bone. But yeah, this weekend I have my best friend's wedding, and I am so looking forward to that. I'm like I can't wait. But yeah, those are all my updates. That solo episode is still coming. I promise you. It's just trying to figure out the right direction. To take it in, in terms of what and how much we're going to talk about each specific subject, but yeah, a lot's been happening. Anyways, I am so looking forward to today's episode for you guys because I am sitting down with one of my closest friends, Sydney Gore, who is an incredibly talented writer, editor. Copy person, anything with words, Sid has got you. I actually met Sydney almost two years ago because she had interviewed me for one of her pieces.、Uh, she was working on a wellness story when she had been freelancing, and we connected and we chatted, and you know, from there on, she has just been a really great friend. And yeah, I feel like the pattern. You may be noticing as a lot of my guests or my friends, and how we meet is through the internet and through work and through hobbies and interests, and it's it's just all really natural and organic. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to have such incredible humans in my life come into my life in such a natural way. So why I wanted Sydney to come on is because her story is so special and so unique. And she has been writing for well, she's been writing forever. But I mean, as a career, she's been doing this for almost ten years now, and she has gone through so many different industries and so many different, you know, titles and have you not, you know, starting off as a music writer, going into wellness, now doing design, which is like. 
another one of her passions and hobbies. So we're going to talk all about that. And my hope is that anyone listening who is in school and may not be maybe nervous about, you know, the direction that they're taking or what they want to do. I really hope that this episode finds you comfort since it's, it's very strongly rooted in our path and not having, you know, a linear line. So yeah, we're going to talk a lot about her new role, how shifting focus from freelance was, how she even got into writing, um, all that fun stuff. We'll touch a little bit about IBS because she's been, she's had that since college and just some things that she's looking forward to and whatnot. This is a, this was honestly, I'm not going to lie. This is one of the longest episodes I have ever recorded. We literally recorded for almost two hours and I had to go to the bathroom so badly. And I feel like at the end, you kind of just hear me like wrapping up. But if I, I feel like I don't even know if I thanked Sid for coming on, but Thank you, Sydney, for coming on and taking the time to share your story, your experience, and your truth with us. And yeah, so me gonna stop talking, and I'll see you guys soon. Hi, friends. Before we get into that episode, I have a quick message from a brand that I've been a fan of for almost five years now, and I've been using their products regularly. So today's sponsor is Moon Juice, and let's talk a little bit about them. Moon Juice brings the tools to unstress, adaptogens, mushrooms, clinical level active foods, supplements, and skincare. All of the ingredients Moon Juice uses are 100% traceable, unadulterated, and sustainably sourced. One of their best-selling adaptogenic supplements is one of my personal favorite products that I have been using for two years now, and that is SuperU. SuperU is an adaptogenic supplement for daily stress management, and it helps improve energy, mood, and focus with its clinical strength blend of four potent adaptogens that are traditionally used in Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. So just a note on stress, ongoing stress can trigger increased cortisol and can manifest as inflammation, exhaustion, lack of focus, or irritability. On a personal level, I know that Firsthand, stress is not something that you can easily control because it can be caused in various areas of your life. And for myself personally, I'm very self-aware of the fact that I'm not able to just turn it off or on and like control it naturally. So I do use SuperU as one of my many methods of my support system when tackling and combating it. Lemon Water listeners, of course I have a code for you and I'm really excited to share that for this week only, you get 20% off your purchase of any Moon Juice product over at moonjuice.com. So let me know if you get something and let me know how it goes. And yeah, now to our episode. Hi, Sydney. Hello, Michelle. How is your Wednesday afternoon going? I mean, my Wednesday is going well. I did take lion's mane this morning, which I don't take quite often because Ooh. it makes me crazy. So I do feel <laughs> a little... Me on St. John's Ward. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I feel a little wired right now, mm-hmm. but it's, I, I want to know how you're doing. I know you've got your second, your booster, not your second. Yeah, my booster, a triple dose, baby. Uh, no, I, I feel so much better today. I'm back, back to normal, but it was the 24 hours. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was honestly a little bit under 24 hours. I didn't really start to feel symptoms until maybe 10 hours after I got my shot. So 
not too bad, but it was kind of like a more mild version of my second dose. So I had like chills, fever, felt like I was kind of going out of my mind. I experienced what, you know, some people will probably call a fever dream, but I'm calling it fever text. And I just like, (laughs) you know, took to letting my thumbs do their thing Mm -hmm. uh, when necessary. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful to have been able to get it and to be done. And Hopefully, uh, you know, we can keep it moving in 2022, but it's also funny that this interview is happening today because, you know, we're obviously going to be talking about my past and how I came to be the person I am now, but, uh, I have my 10 year high school reunion tonight. And so, you know, all of, a lot of all of this stuff, like this is the time 10 years ago where those seeds were planted. So it's almost like this meta experience of actually, you know, talking to you about it (laughs) now on this day. Maybe we should have recorded tomorrow and you can have given us a run by play by play of all the things that happened. Yeah, I'd say tune into my Instagram, but by the time people hear this, it will have already passed. (laughs) Um, But I will be doing some light documenting, I'm sure, of the evening. (laughs) Love this. Okay, so before we get into it, I want... Mm. For listeners who don't know about you, also, this is such a long time coming, don't you think? What, this interview? Yeah. I mean, yes, but also I'm still just, again, with where I'm at right now in my life, I'm still always kind of shocked that people want to interview me (laughs) and to talk to me uh, about anything that I'm doing. So yes, on one hand, sort of overdue but on the other like just honored to even be asked to be to be on this pod but this is how we met which is like so wild you know like we were connected mm-hmm. almost two years ago I mean yeah come next year it will be yeah. two years but yeah you're correct and it was to be interviewed for a story that I'm really proud to have written and still 100% stand by every word that was published and also it's so wild because when I told you the seed was 100% planted, I think it was two a year before that even, or even a year and a half before that, when Trinity and I were out for coffee and she had mentioned who you were and she was like, you need to meet this awesome human from High Snob. Like she's writing about wellness and I'm like, at High Snob? Like what? <laughs> so we'll get into that. But And you also were in the High Snob office that one time, but I just obviously didn't really, you know. We were not prospecting. It was a different time. We, we were, were in different orbits, but in the same place. Crazy. Um, but yeah. So crazy. Okay, so enough of that. But let's, <laughs> for those listening, Sydney, let's just give a little bit about you. You want the little elevator pitch bio? <laughs> elevator oh. pitch. Go. This will be great. Uh, love talking about myself, clearly. But hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you are entertained and gained something from this conversation. But I'm Sydney Gore. I'm a writer, editor, journalist, poet, sometimes consultant and copywriter. Um, But I guess you could say a little bit of a wordsmith um, (laughs) based in New York and originally from the suburbs of New Jersey outside of Philadelphia. And yeah, right now I am the digital design editor at Architectural Digest. But what that really means is I'm just 
covering things for the web and I primarily oversee the clever and idiot yourself verticals. Um, but yeah, so my background is in editorial and journalism. That's what I went to college for. And I originally started as like an aspiring music journalist and have obviously expanded very far from that in the six years, I guess. Yeah. Six years since I graduated, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack. <laughs> you're like the, I will say you're like the only person I know who has gone through, like, of course you've been writing forever, but in terms of like the industries in which you are writing and the stories in which you are covering, it's like watching someone continuously evolve with their passions and take that and be able to apply it into their work. So I know your new role is like, literally, since I, I know design and interiors are something that you've always been passionate about. But I think that like, since the pandemic, it's something that you really took an interest as like a side thing. Like you started looking into vintage furniture, like crazy. And I say this because like Sid and I, like I'm on the receiving end of like knowing <laughs> what the hell's going on at all times and like what she's buying and what she's looking for. And then, you know, you started that inspo account and then it like completely like within, would you not say under six months, you're like, in the doors at AD, which is like a dream can show completely. But I would love to kind of get into so you started well, you really started at nylon. Um, but like at high snob, what were you focusing on? And then how you know, yeah, I mean, and I think like nylon is a good place to start because technically, you know, that's where my career officially began. Prior to that, I had the opportunity to intern at a couple of different publications. And, you know, this was a time where those of us that had the privilege to intern for free, you know, did it and we paid our dues and got, you know, college credit. I'm saying this and doing air quotes for people who cannot see because you won't be able to see this. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, we did those things for free just to put on the resume. And uh, I lucked out because my senior year of college, I somehow got an internship at Nylon. Uh, I only needed 15 credits to graduate. And so with that, I, you know, discussed it with my parents and we agreed that it was a really good opportunity. So I actually was commuting from DC to New York for three months. And so every weekend I would go home to Jersey, I would take a bolt bus to Philly and then stay with my parents and then commute into New York on the train Mondays and Tuesdays. And then I would take a bus back from New York to DC. And then I would go to class like the next day on Wednesday. And I was also, you know, like working part-time in retail. And so it was a really crazy, that's a hustle. I feel like it was, it was a hustle indeed. The new generation won't really understand. <laughs> I mean, I don't encourage it. And it's funny because I'll speak in college classes, right. For professors that I used to have. And I tell this story and I see that just the kind of look of like, terror in some of these students eyes because they're thinking like oh that's what I have to do to like you know get my foot in the door and I'm not saying that like that's the way that they should go about it but for me at the time that's how willing I was to just do whatever it took to be able to actually get like where I wanted to be not let me just get my foot in the door but let me actually be in the room of the place that like I think I want to work so 
I did that for three months. I graduated. I didn't have a job. So I was just going to work in retail and freelance because luckily through my previous internships at places like Billboard and Pigeons and Planes and 17, I had contacts at all of these places. And so I was freelancing and actually getting paid to write like while I was still in college. So I did that. And then I had a contact at a previous internship of mine who worked at Refinery29 and they were looking for someone in the talent relations department to be an intern and it was paid. And that person used to be like the entertainment director or something like that at 17. So she was just someone that like I really looked up to. And so I was just like, yeah, like absolutely would love to do that. So I did that. And then within a month of having that gig ended up getting an editorial fellowship at the fader which was like my absolute dream place to work like i just was so obsessed with that publication and i I like followed all the editors on twitter like i just thought they were kind of like you know editorial gods and so when i got that internship i was just like okay like all the things are happening fast forward to the end of the summer Fader didn't have any jobs available, but at the time they were trying to convince me to work in social, but I was just really stubborn. Um, This was 2015. When social was like Instagram, but with the filters and the weird borders. Right. Yeah. Like nobody really understood like Mm -hmm. how to do social for brands, let alone, you know, media and editorial. And so, yeah, to me, I was just like, well, no, I want to be a writer. So I don't, you know, that's not the right role for me. And Refinery actually did want to hire me within a month of doing that internship. But I was, again, stubbornly like, well, I want to work in editorial, but I don't really want to do it here, which I'll get into all that stuff in women's media soon. But, uh, you know, I just felt like the right, these just weren't the right roles for me. And then a couple of weeks later, my previous supervisor from Nylon reached out because she had gotten a promotion. And so her digital editorial assistant position was open. And I pretty much just kind of like slid into that. Like, you know, I interviewed, I did an edit test, but it wasn't, you know, like half the process. The Hills and the City Dream (laughs) with Teen Vogue. Okay, this is where we are right now. Also, well, at the time, so I thought. (laughs) I think our generation was completely misled into what media is. And I know we always like reference that, but it was so glamorized and really it was like hell. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the whole kind of like, the the hustle, the grind, the overworking yourself, like late hours at the office, that was so glamorized. And I mean, I remember I had this moment once I did start working, was it when I was, no, actually, sorry. This is when I was an intern at Nylon and I, you know, was always really good friends with the fashion interns who truly like were doing the worst of the worst tasks. Like I never wanted to be a fashion writer, let alone like intern because of what I saw go on in the closet. But um, I remember one day they were short staffed. So they asked me if I could help with steaming a garment in the closet. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm like having the the LC moment of like being in the Teen Vogue closet and steaming clothes. And, you know, it was, it was just funny because, you know, I never had to do that normally. So in that moment, I was kind of like, ha ha ha. But if I had to do that every day, I would have hated it. But anyway, yeah. So I started working at Nylon and everyone knew that I was really, really into music and we didn't really have anyone on staff that, you know, just had, had the ear, if you will. And I've always been a tastemaker. I'm not trying to say that to like boost my ego, but I just, it was always very clear that like, whatever the medium, I just always am 
you know, kind of on the pulse and looking at what's next and just really into cultivating like emerging talent. Um, so yeah, they pretty much gave me the reins to do whatever I wanted in terms of the music coverage. And I just took that and ran with it. And, you know, being at a platform that was as recognized and respected as Nylon and truly just like at the time, uh, still such a representative for like alternative kind of culture. Um, you know, it was a really big deal and it was an honor to get to do a lot of that work. So yeah, that was really how I just kind of got things, got the needle, you know, rolling. And then because Nylon was such a fashion and beauty kind of empire, at one point, I remember having this meeting and, you know, we were basically talking about traffic and numbers and they were saying how they felt like we needed to focus more on the content that was, you know, performing well, which was not the music content. And, you know, the conversation was basically like, okay, everyone needs to kind of like shift their priorities and like do more coverage in these areas. And so I kind of had what, what year was this? This was, it was probably 2016 at some point in 2016. But I will say that time I'm like, cause I, I speak to a lot of friends in music and mm-hmm. we always reference that like that point we music people or anyone in general, like to find new music or read, we all went to blogs to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. So that's predominantly like now, unfortunately the music we listen to is all based off of the Spotify algorithm. But back then it was like, music was pretty major, like editorial. Right. And like music discovery, there was, there were just so many different resources that you could use um, and still a lot of, you know, independent uh, sites and bloggers that were really big and places, you know, that I was going, I wasn't looking at, you know, like what is glamor or, you know, some of these other mainstream yeah. publications. Like I was always, I was literally going to the fader and PNP and like, that's when spin was still good. And like stereo gum, like those places kind of helped me to be able to, I guess, like legit like to validate any like artists and stuff that I was bringing. Cause I'd be like, well, they've been covered here. And this like at the time, Fader was still very much like the be all end all. The be all. Yeah. So it's like if the artist was covered on the fader, it's like we need to get them now. We need to do like a cover. And anyway, so yeah. So they're having this conversation and they're basically saying, like, okay, like music kind of needs to be on pause. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to write about? I was like, literally, this is all that I do. Like, that's my beat. That's my niche. Like, what is my purpose here if I'm not writing about this? And at that point in time, a lot of people were really getting into covering skincare. And so, you know, I definitely was always looking at it, but I just, I wasn't, you know, the kind of girl that was going to go to like CVS and like buy a mask. I didn't even know where to begin. Um, I was still only using products that like my dermatologist from high school had, you know, subscribed me to. And I just didn't know anything about like any of that kind of stuff. So this was the time too where Glossier, I think, had maybe just launched. And so because so many of the beauty writers and editors were, you know, like, you know, just connected to the brand, we had a lot of things sent to the office. Um, and so I remember my colleague at the time, Yasmin, who used to be my supervisor, she gave me a couple of like extra Glossier products because, you know, she was like, oh, I have tons of stuff. I don't need this. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, are you sure? And so that was kind of how I dipped my toe into it. And then I remember at this time too, like activated charcoal was really big and people were talking about like collagen. 
And then Moon Juice was really, you know, starting to get a lot of traction and goop. And so I started to kind of create this little lane for myself where I would be like, okay, well, I see a lot of people talking about, you know, this like wellness or skincare trend, but could I actually like try the products? Like let's kind of test if they're legitimate or not. Um, And so I remember I did one for Moon Juice and I tested like all of the dusts and I just started, yeah, doing these sort of like trial and error kind of like reviews of products. And that was sort of like my opening into wellness for a little bit. And then meanwhile, like all of this is kind of happening and on the surface, right? Like everyone was just like, oh my God, like the work I was doing was so amazing. I was constantly getting like all this praise from like outside of my office, but inside at the workplace, I was dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and depression and burnout. And at that time, I didn't know that what I was experiencing was burnout because we didn't have the language for it at the time. But the entire time that I worked at Nylon, which was almost for two years, I had really severe bad burnout and my supervisors and just like the people working there um, really were not helpful in me kind of like figuring out how to deal with it. And I was just always constantly overwhelmed, like overworked, underpaid, truly. Um, I tried to leave there like so many times. I was constantly applying for jobs and just like meeting up with mentors of mine, just like, (laughs) you know, desperate uh, to get out. And then ultimately what ended up happening was in 2017, I got laid off. And that was like a couple of months before they did a huge layoff and dissolved the entire print department. So that was a really difficult period for me because I felt like my entire identity had revolved around my job at this place that, you know, growing up was kind of like the be all end all for me. And so it's like, if I'm not at nylon, like, who am I? Um, So I kind of also experienced like an identity crisis, but ultimately I needed to get out of there and I knew it was going to happen one way or another. Like I leave on my own terms or they see me out the door, but I just knew that things, you know, once I was gone would probably not (laughs) be so great in terms of the quality, which, you know, uh, the content speaks for itself. It's definitely so scary because what you said, it was like your, your whole identity was around this and so many, so many of us growing up it's like we had this either dream job or dream publication or dream company in general and I think as you know society has you know the way we progress in the digital space it's like as kids we were so attached to these like magazines and these editorials Mm -hmm. and these publications so when we got that dream job and we're in this space it was definitely ripped under the rug when it was kind of just like Mm -hmm. well print doesn't exist anymore like this isn't a thing and like the digital space still didn't seem as ever going to be on par with print Mm so yeah and the thing was it's like I ended up actually my first editorial internship at Billboard I was put onto the web team and I remember this was in 2013 And at the time I was really upset because I was like, I love magazines. Like, it's not the same. You know, I love that glossy paper. Like, I just was so annoyed that I wouldn't get to be a part of that process. And that actually ended up being the best thing that could have happened to me for my entire career, to be honest. And when I was working at Nylon, I was technically on the digital editorial team, but I made enough friends and kind of like allies on the print team. So they would also like give me assignments sometimes. So 
I always kind of saw myself as what's considered a hybrid journalist, which is where like, you know how to do print stuff, but you also understand digital. So yeah. So for someone like me to have been let go, I was obviously pretty devastated and, you know, offended to be honest, but, you know, being so young, I was, I think I was 23 or 24 and, you know, it's like, that's the first job I ever had. And so the idea of like getting fired, I was just like, oh my God, like I didn't even want to talk about it. I didn't want to post about it. I was just like, maybe I can just quietly get a job and like, nobody has to know, but, you know, ultimately these layoffs and things like that become normal for the, I don't want to say every industry, but mine in particular, um, it's very common for people to experience a layoff, whether it's, yeah, just like you get fired or there's a big massive layoff situation, but, um, you know, it never hurts as much as it does like the first time. And what ended up happening was I luckily still had contacts, was able to freelance for a little bit. And I actually did a piece that really got things moving for Girlboss at the time. Tessa, our last episode with Tessa talks about how Girlboss really? was her start too. <laughs> Listen, Girlboss, I don't, I won't get into the nasty gal stuff and like Sophia and, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> but I will say Girlboss's editorial was really amazing. And I primarily wrote for um, this editor, Jericho Mandiver. And uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the other editor. I feel like her name was like Kathleen or something. But regardless, they were incredible women of color. And I got to do a piece where I talked about having IBS. And I was really nervous to do it because at the time, you know, there were no like hot girls have IBS campaigns going. And it was just a thing that I was always really embarrassed to talk about. But, you know, what kind of like motivated me to do this piece was that the new co had like just launched and they had sent me while I was still working at nylon, this debloat powder and the debloat powder just completely changed my life since college, which is when I got diagnosed with IBS my freshman year, which I can get a little bit into that whole experience like later. But um, basically I had been taking these pills to deal with my IBS for years. And I didn't realize until again, working at nylon, but I was actually having really, really terrible side effects from this medication. And, you know, again, as someone who was like suffering from burnout and going through these things, who also has like depression and anxiety, I just thought it was me and just something being wrong with like me and my body. And then one day it just dawned on me to look up the medication and side effects and everything that I was suffering from, which was like lightheadedness, feeling like faint. You know, I, I would feel like I was going to pass out sometimes like halfway through the day and just being constantly exhausted. And it was all because of this medication. So I stopped taking the medication this powder ends up coming into my life. And I started taking the powder and just like mixing it with like my oatmeal and making like turmeric lattes. And I mean, I don't want to be like, I was cured, but like, I really was, it just like helped so much. And I was able to stop that medication like completely and just use that powder along with, you know, just making other mild changes to my diet. And now I'm in a position where like, you know, I take prebiotics and probiotics, but I don't even have to use that powder unless I have like, you know, my IBS is triggered and it's really, really bad, but it just completely changed the game. So yeah, basically 
after going through that, I felt like I had other friends who also suffered from similar issues. And again, just constantly like word of mouth telling people about this powder and them getting it and seeing the results. I was like, more people need to know about this. So I did an article talking about that and the whole experience. And it ended up doing like extremely well. It was like one of their like highest traffic stories. I remember like the new co telling me that, you know, their sales just surged after that had been published. And so it was like this very big moment. And yeah, from there, I just kind of started dabbling with a couple of different types of wellness adjacent stories here and there, but I was still at the time, like mostly doing music and I had gotten hired at MTV actually to do editorial within like the social team for TRL when they were trying to reboot it. But yeah, the entire time with that job, I just freelanced on the side, mostly for like paper and V magazine. And with paper, I would do a lot of lifestyle and wellness stories because they didn't really have anyone on staff that, you know, was just like interested. You were working full time at MTV while also freelancing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then ultimately what ended up happening was, you know, I did the MTV job for about eight months, but I just you know, working in television is very different than regular editorial. And I just kind of started realizing that I I thought I wanted to go back into the more traditional format of things. And I had a friend living in Berlin who was working for High Snobiety. And I guess, yeah, they had like this position that had opened up within the music team. So she reached out to me and she encouraged me to apply. And I actually forgot to apply, but because I guess she had told enough people about me and then they looked me up, one of the editors ended up reaching out to me. And so then I started interviewing for that. And, you know, it didn't take very long for me to get an offer, but yeah, I I ended up being offered this associate music editor position and then left MTV, started working there. And so that was almost two years being at High Snob. And yeah, like basically while I was in that role, I just started feeling more and more like maybe I had run my course in terms of music coverage. And I mean, High Snob was different because, you know, they kind of had specific types of music and just like things in general that they wanted to be covering. And those to me were things that just it just didn't really align with like what I was interested in or what I felt was I don't know, the most important or what we should be using our platform to promote. And so rather than just like getting a completely new job or something, I just kind of tried to have these conversations with myself where I was like, how can I sort of be the most utilized here? Like what exactly, like what's an area that like I could kind of take over and make my own and really just kind of like build out and I realized maybe like a year later, like our lifestyle editor was getting ready to leave. And I had started working on things with him a little bit here and there and like with the commerce team. And yeah, I just kind of quickly realized like, oh, I think I need to kind of try to do more stuff in this lifestyle lane. And that kind of combines like a couple of my different interests. And I can still, you know, incorporate music and talent within that. But I just really felt like, especially in, you know, a men's editorial world, like that's just an area that needed more coverage, you know, whether it's like skincare or talking about wellness stuff, but they just weren't really doing it. And High Snob with all of the readers that are so like 
dedicated to it, I felt like, you know, we could do a much better job than like, no offense, but like a complex or something like that. I also felt that High Snob was really male focused. And then you definitely brought like a female perspective into a lot of different areas. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's a whole other thing too, right? Because I feel like I'll meet people a lot of the time. And I've worked at this point now in all of the different types of environments. You know, it's like I did women's media. I did like very corporate MTV. I was at High Snob, which was, you know, primarily men. And I was also, you know, at Complex. I interned there like with the Pigeons and Planes team. So I've kind of seen it all. But to me, I actually preferred, I mean, I'm not going to be like, I prefer like working with men over women, but like I was able to better maneuver within places like high snob or like MTV even versus being somewhere like nylon or refinery for a lot of reasons. But basically to say that, like, I don't really think that one is like better than the other. I think what it really comes down to is just like, does your supervisor, does your team, does the structure like have your best interests in mind? And is it inclusive? Because you can still have a bad boss and they could be a woman. They could be a queer woman, which like I did have a really terrible boss that, you know, checked both those categories. But it was when I actually had queer men that were my bosses that were the best bosses. And then when I've had like women of color, which is very rare, especially for editorial, for people like that to be in higher senior level positions. Like it's not just about the C-suite. You need to actually have people in management positions that are good leaders and know how to manage people in a way that's effective and not like destructive. But yeah. And then just being at High Snob, kind of taking over lifestyle, really being able to expand more into culture, because that's for me what it all came down to. I was like, I don't just want to do music anymore. I don't like being pigeonholed. I want to be able to honestly talk about like whatever I want, like one day. It could be wellness and a face mask another day. It could be, um, I did a piece once there about like the cow print (laughs) trend and just like cool items that had like cow print, you know, just like random stuff like that. Before I got laid off from High Snob during the pandemic, I actually did this really big, like deep dive into that company, Ray, Ray Wellness, you might remember. And it was because at the time, you know, there was this whole thing going on in the media about how like kids on TikTok, you know, were using the drops. Oh my God. It's literally when TikTok started out. Yeah. As TikTok was like, you know, revving up. And so, yeah, these drops that they were using, I can't even remember what they were specifically. I think they were metabolism. Yeah. They were the metabolism drops and Yeah, basically kids on TikTok were allegedly like, you know, talking about how it was a great thing to use to get like skinny really quickly. And, you know, again, diet culture nonsense. And yeah, so I saw this blowing up and I wanted to do a piece about that and also talk to the company just to understand like how they were going about handling it. And I wasn't really trying to like, you know, place blame on anyone for this happening. But again, because this was around the time that nobody really understood TikTok. You know, there were just so many mixed opinions coming out, people being like, well, TikTok should be banned and all this stuff. And then people coming for this company. And I mean, yeah, so there was just a lot going on. And I just wanted to have like a very straightforward conversation with as many parties as I could get involved and do something that was a little investigative. So that was one of the last pieces that I did 
Burhai Snob and, you know, it did really well, both in terms of like traffic engagement and I just think like public service. So yeah, I was just doing all different types of stories while I was there, some of which were, you know, got the attention that they deserved. But a lot of the time I just always kind of felt like this piece would do so much better if like it had been published at like Vogue or, you know, just like somewhere else. And yeah, and then the pandemic happened and I got laid off and it was my time to go for sure. I had been ready for a while to go elsewhere. But again, I was kind of in this mindset of like, I'll be able to leave when I find the right role and I can just sort of, you know, like slide into it. And I should also mention something that I often forget uh, just with these transitions is I was actually kind of quietly uh, also doing a freelance gig with Netflix for the strong black lead account. So I was basically like writing scripts and doing copy for social for that program. So it was kind of like, honestly, having two jobs at the same time. But like, you know, that one I was obviously more hush hush about. But as the pandemic also started, I ended up um, my contract wasn't renewed for that. Um, It was like a month to month type of thing. So yeah, it's just like I had no jobs, nothing going on. But again, figured like, okay, maybe I can freelance. But then because of the pandemic, everyone's freelance budgets got cut. So I was just being offered really horrendous rates, like far below anything I would ever normally accept. But, you know, at the time, it's just like money is money and you just need to be able to, you know, get your name and your work out there. So I, you know, took some rates that normally I wouldn't have just to get the stories out. And then June happened and the racial reckonings began. And suddenly, you know, Black writers were highly in demand. Um, And it was really interesting to see places that, you know, were only offering me maybe like $150 for like, you know, like an 800 word story suddenly being able to meet like whatever rate I requested. And I just kind of every month kept adding like a hundred dollars and then like doubling and like tripling my rate. And it's just very satisfying, you know, when like I would give a really high rate and have them be like, sure, no problem. And it was like interesting because like literally a month ago, this was not the conversation we were having. Yeah. So the freelancing finally started to actually like turn a real profit. And I think that, you know, I, instead of just trying to kind of like get a certain story at a particular publication, what I really started to notice was like, if I just develop a good relationship with an editor, I'd rather go about it that way. And then I know that like, I can trust them to like, see the piece through like the way that I intend for it to go versus like, just trying to be like, oh, like, I really want that, you know, like GQ byline or what have you. Um, And I definitely learned that through the story that you were featured in, which was for Birdie. And it was about, you know, for people who aren't familiar, whitewashing and the wellness industry and just like a lot of this toxicity that has always been there, but has recently just really been blowing up. And I just feel like as, you know, we were all continuing to stay home and trying to just like take better care of ourselves. Um, Some people are just really being misguided along their wellness journey But yeah, that was a piece where, you know, I had pitched the idea around to, I think, at least five publications, some really, really major, and they just didn't want to get on board for whatever reasons. Some places felt like it was too niche, um, and they just didn't 
get it. And, you know, I had been freelancing for Birdie for a couple of years, actually. And, you know, once they accepted the story, it really just like dawned on me. I was like, they should have been the first place that I went to. Like, I don't even know why I spent almost two weeks, like trying to go to these other places because I thought that like those would be, you know, just more powerful platforms. But like, this is a place that I've always had a very positive experience writing for. So like that should have been, you know, my first choice. And yeah. And, you know, I was really happy when that piece went up and just got all of the traction that I hoped that it would. And people were, you know, having their own conversations about the topic and they just got it, you know? And yeah, as that summer went on, on one hand, it's like, yes, everything was looking like really great. Everyone was like, oh, you're writing so much. You're doing all these things. But at the end of the day, it's like, I wasn't making enough to cover all of my bills. Um, I wasn't making enough to cover my rent. So I needed to find other ways to kind of like supplement that income. And that's where like the copywriting came in. And it was great because with a lot of these stories that I was doing in the wellness industry and like the contacts I was making, I was able to start doing copywriting for, you know, places like Moon Juice or like Nike. And I have enough, you know, friends and contacts working at a lot of these other places or just, you know, doing freelancing where like if they had a project and they needed a writer, they would, you know, reach out to me and I would do it. So yeah, I realized that like having this balance of being able to do like commercial work to really like cover the costs and then the freedom to do the editorial pieces that I wanted to do, not just like people coming to me because like they just want a black writer, you know? And I think that ultimately that's been my biggest thing since I started working in this industry and a constant conflict that I found myself getting into at almost every place that I worked was just like, just because I'm black, it doesn't mean that I should only be covering like, you know, like black things or just things that I don't know, people clearly don't want to do, but because I'm black, they're like, oh, well, you can do that. It's like, I can write about anything, any subject because I do have the range. Not everybody has the range. Like, and again, I'm not trying to say this to like toot my own horn, but it's like, I have so many interests that I'm able to talk about like so many different topics um, and do it well and do it in a way that it's still sounds like me and my voice comes through, but you know, there are just certain things that like, I'm definitely not the person that someone should be coming to for, like, hip-hop coverage. I was gonna, I was gonna mention that, because, like, I feel like, you know, you were so into music, but then it was, like, it shouldn't be assumed that that's the type of music that you want to write about. Yeah, and th- that would happen at Nylon. It would be, like, you know, they'd be, like, oh, can you cover this, like, R&B or hip-hop artist? And I'd be, like, I mean, I can, but I don't think that I'm even necessarily the best person to do this. Like I grew up listening to a lot. I mean, my parents primarily listened to like jazz and R&B. And now I do listen to a bit of that, but, you know, I kind of wanted to be listening to the opposite. So I would listen to rock and got really into indie. And, you know, like I said, I grew up outside of Philly. So like the pop punk scene and punk was just huge. And I would go to Warp Tour with my friends. And, you know, I was just all about like, that kind of stuff. So to constantly have to be having these conversations with white people very often where, you know, they only want me to cover a rapper or whatever. And I'm just like, but I mean, again, it would be like a cool rapper, maybe someone I would listen to, but I'd just be like, 
well, why can't I be doing like the interview with, you know, this rock person? And it was really interesting too, because before the whole like AD thing happened, I I had an opportunity to do a profile on St. Vincent and, you know, it was great because they did it for W and I have a few friends that work there now. And again, they just, they understand my expertise and what I'm good at covering, what I'm interested in. So like them coming to me to do this interview, initially I was kind of like, oh, well, am I the right person to do this? And it was mostly because I was kind of thinking more like, oh, maybe like a queer writer should be the one because she's a queer, you know, I don't know. I just always, we all kind of think that way. But I just was like, am I taking up space by doing this interview? You know, I had this conversation with myself and a few friends. And then I realized in that moment, I was like, one, how many people of color have ever probably interviewed St. Vincent? And two, if any of my white friends who are music writers had this opportunity, would they even think about that? And the answer is no. And I have so many friends, I'm not trying to throw shade at them or anything, but like many a white friend who they primarily cover hip hop and they very rarely, you know, stop themselves and have that conversation where it's like, should I be doing this? And like, how many times have I had a friend like actually recommend me for something instead of them, like, you know, taking that opportunity. And again, through the pandemic, this is a thing I was constantly doing and it doesn't even have to be music related, but if I was offered an opportunity that I either just didn't want to do or felt like I'm not the best person for this assignment, I would recommend to other people every time. And Again, I don't really know how many other people are doing that, but I don't think many. And I I've started to make a habit out of it because I was like, you know, I know why people are coming to me. Some people, good intentions. Others, again, they're just trying to check a box and be like, oh, like we want this black thing covered. And so we want a black writer. And it's like, I know you're coming to me because I'm more well-known and established. And like, that's great. But if I don't recommend somebody else, they're just going to go to the next person who's maybe like me. And again, who maybe probably that's not their area of expertise. So if I can offer other people who would never be given that opportunity, I would rather do it that way. But it's like, I'm doing your job for you ultimately. Taking a quick little break from that episode with a message from our sponsors over at Moon Juice. So we mentioned Super U as our daily stress supporter to help us throughout the day. But there's also something that can help us when we're trying to wind down in the nighttime. So magnesium is a bright pink, berry flavored, unstressing drink formulated with three bioavailable forms of magnesium and L-theanine for relaxation, brain health, and sleep. And that's where the unstressed stack comes in. A bundle containing Super U and magnesium for stress relief from sunup to sundown together, making it super easy and simple to use daily. So two caps of Super U in the AM and one teaspoon of magnesium dissolved in some water at night. And there you have it. So code lemon water gets you 20% off the stack over at moonjuice.com for this week only. But it's not just for the stack. If you're interested in anything else on the site, the code is available for you to use. So let me know what you get. Now back to the episode. Here we are. Uh, I think I was talking about what, like copy editing, right? And like editorial and just focusing on things. Yeah, freelancing. So I just also want to say that like with freelancing, I'd never done it full time before. And it had always been my fear because since I graduated college, like I've always been working. I've always had a job. I've always had a full time job. I never had to worry about like healthcare. You know, all those things had always been 
covered. And that's why I always preferred to just be in the typical like corporate, like full-time structure. So to be freelance full-time, not by choice, it was very terrifying to me. And then things really took a turn when I did a piece for The Strategist about mushrooms. (laughs) And with that piece, you know, it was a little wellness, a little bit of fashion, just, you know, connecting all the dots across markets. And I really feel like that positioned me to a place where, you know, I was finally being recognized as, again, like not just covering one thing. It's like I can talk about all of these different topics and I will find a way to connect them that like no one else is doing. So that piece really just kind of like set the tone. And then a few months later, I got my first New York Times assignment and it was about incense. And, you know, and then after that, it's like I got my first Vogue assignment. And so all these things finally started like snowballing and just like having this really incredible moment that I've always waited for in my career, like happening at once. And it was finally like, okay, the suffering, the hard work, the burnout, like all these things are finally feeling worth it. So going into 2021, I was actually feeling really good, even though I was still, you know, very stressed about like my future and my career and where I was even going to live, like if I should stay in New York. And so toward the end of 2020, I had started the spoiled goods account (laughs) on Instagram just to have a way to kind of like, I don't know, try to hack the algorithm, if you will. But, you know, I definitely wanted to have something where I could learn a little bit more about the design space and just like, you know, this other area that like I was starting to write about a little bit, but just really felt like I'm still a novice and I don't know anything. So I started that account for fun, really didn't think anything of it. I think at that point in 2021, uh, I'm trying to remember when I did my last New York Times story, but basically like I did these two other New York Times stories. One was about uh, cat trees and like cat furniture. <laughs> and the other one was about like the wiggle trend. But again, just like digging a little bit deeper because that's always been my thing. I'm like, I like to do trend forecasting, but I want to go deeper than just like, oh, like buy all this stuff. And these are the brands that are cool. Like where, like, why is this happening? And where did it actually begin? Like, I want to just like really get into the history of things. So I did those two pieces. The wiggle one hadn't come out yet, but I was basically like wrapping it up. And then I ended up getting reached out to by someone from AD. And at first I thought it was a scam (laughs) because like, you know, who, who sent someone a DM on Instagram, you know? And then I got the same message on LinkedIn from this person. I was like, oh, this is real but they just wanted to talk to me about an opportunity. And I was thinking that like, oh, they just want me to do a freelance story. You know, I didn't think that this was going to be for a job. So I set up a phone call, quickly realized it was an informational interview. And, you know, I turned it around basically because I was not prepared, but I turned it around and got myself a second interview secured with the editor-in-chief who, if you're not familiar, is Amy Astley, as Michelle knows, Hill's fame. But uh, she's just an absolute legend. She founded Teen Vogue. She is just like. Sydney is literally woman. living the city dream. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, I had an interview with her, and I thought it wasn't going to happen, you know, for a couple of weeks because these things take time. 
And yeah, I ended up getting like an email from her assistant being like, oh, are you available like tomorrow? And I was like, oh my God. So I, I had a Zoom interview with her and then that went really well. And it was great because she straight up was like, I'm not going to waste your time with an edit, edit test. You know, like you have the experience, you have the knowledge, you have the taste and like something that came up in like that interview and my other interviews was that everyone had seen the spoiled goods account. And that convinced them that like, not only did I, you know, know what I was talking about, I guess, (laughs) unbeknownst to me, but I had an eye and an eye that they felt like was just, I don't know exactly what they at least like with clever like what they were going for and just like seeing that like I understood like I don't know I just have an eye for curiosity. assignment <laughs> yeah yeah she understands the assignment so I guess I did and yeah basically like within I think a week it only took maybe like a week and a half and everything for me to like interview you know talk to the HR people before I got like that offer and uh, everything just fell into place in this really organic way where it just felt right. And something I forgot to mention just with talking about like adjusting, you know, to freelance with the pandemic and everything, like I kept applying for jobs. I was never not applying for jobs. I would take breaks. But toward the end of 2020, I, you know, just kind of got to a point where I was like, this just like isn't working for me, like constantly applying for these things and not getting them. And then I just started questioning, like, maybe these just like aren't the right opportunity, like the right roles. Um, You know, I just felt like I'm trying so hard to like sell myself to these people. And it's like, for what? I literally remember applying for, right. So yeah. And there was one other position before the AD one came along. Uh, Well, I shouldn't even say one other position, but like one place I really, really wanted to work. And I had been freelancing for them during the pandemic. I applied twice for two different roles the first role like it was kind of you know I had it in the bag and then basically something ended up happening and I wasn't offered the position they just ended up like not filling it at all so then when the other role had come around you know to put myself through the process twice I was like okay like I kind of have to get it this time you know Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, after I didn't get that position, I really had to sit myself down and I was just like, I don't need to do any of this at all. I was like, I don't need to be putting myself through this really grueling and frustrating and disappointing, honestly, like discouraging process when, you know, I have work to do. I have my own work that I need to do. And like, I just kind of felt like at that point, like the right thing would hopefully find me, but like, I wasn't going to get what I wanted if I was just like settling for what is, you know, posted on a job board. And I also want to say, if this remains in, in the pod episode, you know, this is something that like, I constantly have to tell my, or had to tell my mom Hmm. because throughout the pandemic, she would always be like sending me these links for these jobs and be like, Oh, like maybe this could be a fit, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, I mean, Maybe, but even if it was, if it's already been been up there for over a week, it's done. It's like very rare. And a lot of the time if things are still there for months, like it hasn't been filled for a very specific reason. Mm -hmm. So it's in your best interest, if you can, to have a direct contact at the company, someone on the inside who can recommend you and then like take your stuff directly versus like going through a job portal. And I won't expose all the secrets, but I'll just say like even my position that I have now, it wasn't posted until like 
around the time that I got my offer. So, I mean, like they didn't even know what the job was going to be called when I was interviewing for it. So, yeah, just saying. But another thing said, I think just also as a friend, and I've told you this many times and also just kind of hearing your entire now your story in one go, it's so, so evident that you are just an individual that you, first of all, you don't leave jobs like you end up getting let go, which is I've also always probably gotten let go, but it's the universe pushing you to the next move. And it's like Mm -hmm. when your chapter is to a close, you won't end it yourself. You need that push to kind of go. And every single career that you have, every single job that you've been in, you've been placed in. It wasn't an applying thing. So this is now the third role you're in that is you're in an incredible place right now. But again, it it found you, you did not have to find it. Same with High Snob, like you mentioned that you forgot to apply and the editor reached out to you. And then with Nylon, it was kind of like that position became available and you like swooped in. So this is just a pattern. And for those listening, it's like, these are things to kind of keep track of and notice in your life when things are happening. And and it, it, like, I mean, I've been really big on like numerology right now and Mm -hmm. and you know the human design and for me Mm -hmm. too I'm someone who should not seek something it needs to seek me and Mm -hmm. I should be the one waiting for an invitation not forcing into a situation are you a projector too yeah all earth signs are projectors interesting I didn't realize that's I've never thought about that in my job situations this is the first time I'm actually like reflecting on that and you're you're totally right which is a great way to look at it Mm -hmm. and I think that's also why honestly being a projector and working these full-time jobs can definitely be really challenging and especially when I think back to my first job I was constantly being expected to like overwork myself essentially and like the fact that I wasn't staying in the office until like 8 p.m people would like look down on me for leaving at 6 p.m but it's like I would be at the office at like eight in the morning sometimes. And it's like, I'm a projector. Like I, to be over exhausted, like I just will self-destruct. Like I need to have periods where I can rest. And I know this better now, but for years, I just like wasn't aware of this. And I just thought like, you know, again, that there's something wrong with me because like, I can't just like be sitting at my computer for eight hours, like the whole day, just sitting there. Like I always needed to be like leaving and going in a conference room to get something done or just like away from distractions. And, you know, honestly, like I was still at high snob right when the pandemic happened. So going through that transition of like working in the office to then like working from home was way better for me and still is to be honest as I continue to work remotely. But that was the first time where I was finally like, okay, this is like conducive to my working style. And just again, having that freedom to be able to like work sometimes for a whole day, but then have a couple of days where I did no work. And yeah, like the pandemic and going through that transition was just really interesting because I feel like in 2020, I finally, for the first time, like had a really good balance in terms of my work. I mean, I didn't really have a social life, so not having that obviously brought a lot of balance and then being able to actually like focus more on taking care of myself and doing what I needed to do. Cause like I said, that month of June, the racial reckoning was just like 
so overwhelming. And I actually extended like a lot of deadlines for the first time, which I was really nervous to do, but actually receiving responses from editors and then being like, take as much time as you need. It's okay. Like nothing is urgent. I was just like, why, why isn't, why isn't this the norm? Like all the time. And as I started this new role with AD, I definitely fell off a little bit in terms of just like carving that time and space for myself to be able to just like pause. And it's not AD's fault. It's not like I'm being like overworked or something, but I just like, you know, with switching gears and figuring out my schedule again, it's been a little bit challenging. And again, doing everything in the home now, like being on all these calls, like in my home and it getting colder and not really wanting to go outside and wanting to hibernate. It's been an adjustment, but I feel like as we're getting ready to go into 2022, I've been able to like reprioritize those things again. So like, I'm going to acupuncture every other week. I'm getting my massages like once a month and I'll be doing, you know, my little silly little exercise routines again soon, but uh, it's been a lot of things sort of happening at once, but Mm -hmm. as, as us projectors know, you just kind of like have to go into the tunnel and like, you know, complete all those tasks. And then when it's done, like I am like, don't talk, don't text, do not disturb. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just vibing. You have good, you have good boundaries with that. That's something that I like, I mean, I do put on the do not disturb and like people know that if I open the message, I probably won't get back to you unless I've responded right away. But yeah, I really feel like I should have an episode about like the human design and all of that. But I need to find the right who for that because it's just so cool and so interesting. I really wish more workplaces like started using that. Like they should use human design. They should use, you know, whether or not, or what is it? The like when you're like an INFJ and stuff like that, I'm an INFJ. I guess those like personality types or whatever. But I just think that like, all of those things, if people actually took them into consideration, then they would be able to work better with people. I remember reading this book. I believe it's called like No Hard Feelings. I can't remember the names of the authors. It's two women. They talk about all of those different things and just how, yeah, like even just with like how you communicate with someone who's like an introvert versus an extrovert and like the way in which like meetings are held and things like that, just like all these little things can make a huge difference and, you know, are just better in terms of like productivity and dealing with this whole like productivity scam, really. Yeah, that's <laughs> won't too, get that too. Also, like, I think more it's weird because like I knew about this when I was like a child, but I think a lot more adults are realizing that they have ADD and ADHD and like they didn't know their whole lives. And now they're finally figuring out how like one that they have it and two, how to navigate and deal with it. And for me, like I'm seeing all these, again, these like little slides and carousels on Instagram and it's like the PowerPoints. Yeah. And it's like, yes, I knew I had ADHD because I was told, but it's like to understand that something that I was mistaken for anxiety, which I do have anxiety as well, but why I couldn't complete certain tasks was because of my ADHD, not my anxiety. And so just like being able to understand and be compassionate with yourself. But I also think it's important for the people that you're working with to understand that if I'm not getting something done on time, or if I'm delaying a process or I'm procrastinating, it's because I'm literally terrified to start the assignment. So more people just need to like, yeah, there's so many different things that we need to realize when we're working with other types of people and how others' brains work and all of that. Yeah. I mean, and I think like all those things, right. It's like, it starts when you're young and in childhood and 
During the pandemic, when I stayed with my parents for a few months, I spent a lot of time reading old journals and diaries and, you know, my, I went to revisited my Tumblr and was like digging through the archives. And Sydney has the funnest journal as a child. Like this girl was destined to be a writer. Like the way she would write in her journal, it was like, it was a story about her life, literally. I mean, I also, I should mention... For the room. Uh, I went to writing camp as a kid too. I literally went to Duke University, which is where my dad graduated from um, writing camp. So I was like very much about that life forever. But uh, yeah, you know, it's just like interesting to see what you were trying to articulate as a younger person. And even like from my early like elementary school diaries, like I was able to identify that like I was experiencing anxiety. And like, I straight up would like say, like, I have like anxiety or whatever. And I always knew even in like middle school that like, you know, I was dealing with some maybe more mild form of depression, but it's like all these things were there and I would try to vocalize them, you know, whether it was to like my parents or like a counselor or whatever. But, you know, at that time, I, I very much believe like a lot of people still we're not taking mental health very seriously unless it's like you clearly were like, you know, a true like red flag of a problem. So I, you know, dealing with those things for a really long time on my own and not having the help that I needed. I since then have, you know, like I started going to therapy like around 2019 and, you know, again, with getting into wellness and just sort of like turning to these other forms of like, healing and like, you know, spiritual guidance, if you will, has helped me so much. But growing up, yeah, those were just not really things that I got support on, which is really sad because I just often think like, wow, what would I be like if those things had been nipped in the bud when I was like, you know, 14 instead of 20, I guess I would have been, yeah, like 26 27. I just think our generation growing up that like our parents were like, you don't need therapy. You have me. And it's like literally. And yeah, it's like, we're both only children. So you very much understand um, (laughs) the kind of environment I was, you know, raised in and just all the pressure that was put on, you know, you're the only one. So it's like all the attention is on you and Yeah. And again, like I was often the only black kid in a lot of my classes. So I just also felt like there was this pressure of like expectation of like, you know, it's like I'm the only one. So I need to be like representative for almost like my entire race of like, you know, like being smart and being able to like do all these things. And I grew up doing lots of sports like dance was technically my first sport. So I was a ballerina. I did point ballet. I did tap. (laughs) And then I moved to the sport. So I started with like basketball and softball and tennis. I actually started at tennis first from a very young age. And I used to go to tennis camp at like UPenn, but tennis made me feel very depressed. So I quit in middle school. And then I did volleyball in high school. I was on the varsity volleyball team. I did orchestra. So I was like always juggling like all of these different activities. So yeah, you know, just like trying to be the best at like every single thing that I did was obviously not (laughs) very healthy. And, you know, again, just like living in this environment where I very much was kind of like always underrated and overlooked. And, you know, it's like, I wasn't the most, I mean, I don't really believe in popularity, but I definitely like, I wasn't that girl, like going out on dates and all these things and like, 
you know, having that kind of an experience. So I just very much like through the time that I lived here was just so focused on like academics and just like getting into a good college. And then that really pushed me to just like get my career started, like as soon as I was in college. And that's why I am the way that I am. And now you know all of this and you're headed to your high school reunion. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I mean, even it's funny, I'm sitting here in my childhood bedroom and I've talked about this before, but it was funny because I didn't really think about it until I was interviewing with Amy and, you know, talking about where my interest in design sparked from. And from where I'm sitting right now, like there's this stack of boxes and they're called um, the American Girl AG Minis. You decorate and like the bottom level of the one that I have is like a diner and then it's like a a literal New York apartment and then a bedroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like I used to just play with that as a child, not thinking anything of it. But it's like, again, just like it's all of my interests in like one thing. Um, And so to have had that while I was also, you know, just like doing these little journals and like listening to my music, it's just like everything was always interconnected. And I'm just really grateful now to be in a place in my life where I can usually explore whatever sparks like my curiosity. But I just really ultimately like want to, I guess, just like encourage people to, yeah, you know, like explore your interests, but just really emphasizing the fact that you shouldn't ever let anyone limit you and tell you like what you can or what you should do. Like if I had let people tell me throughout my career, like to only cover like a certain type of music or like this one thing, like I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And I wouldn't have been able to grow both like as a person and a professional in my career if I had listened to those people. So, I mean, you have to trust the process and it's really, really scary because so much of you know, life is just like uncertain and unknown, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't really, it's like when people kind of think about, you know, having someone is almost like a competitor to like motivate you to just like stay on course and whatever. Like, I don't really consider anyone my competition. And again, I'm not saying that in a way to be like cocky, but I know that nobody can do what I do the way that I do it. Yeah. And I think that's also the most important thing when when you don't see anyone as competition, that's when you actually can help your peers the most, right? Because I feel like so mm-hmm. many people have this competitive mentality and it's like, well, if this person gets it, then there's not enough for me. And it's like, there's enough for everyone to go around and like knowing that right. you can help someone, it's just going to propel you forward in a in a stronger way too. Absolutely. And, you know, just like, continuing to make space for other people like since I've been doing this professionally I just always made a point whether it was you know at an internship or just like in an office I'm working at to speak to the other I mean speak to everyone around me but especially like if there are any other people of color I would always automatically like make sure you know that like we're connected and allies because you just never know what's going to happen um but you know, and in going to a lot of events in the industry too, and like meeting other writers, like I have so many other black women writers slash editor friends that I've made over the years and having those contacts and knowing like, okay, like, like I know this person, you know, so when like things happen, you know, who you can always kind of like count on and who's going to have your best interests. And when there's, you know, like drama or some scandal or what have you, knowing who the real people are that you can kind of like 
align yourselves with, I think that that's really important because there's a lot of phonies out there and people that just, you know, move funny (laughs) as, as we like to say, but, you know, I just, I think it's important to always know like who the real ones are. And I, I think especially as we're now at this point, you know, with social media and the kind of like age of the influencer and people sort of having these personas, like for me, like I have no persona, obviously I have the side of me that is like a little more professional and is going to be a little more filtered, but for the most part, like what you're seeing, what you're seeing online is only like a fraction (laughs) of what I actually offer. But, you know, it's very much the same thing too with like who I talk to online. It's like, because I know these people, I mean, yes, I make friends on the internet whomst amongst us hasn't that was, you know, like on Tumblr in 2011, but the people I like talk to and that I like hang out with is like people I actually know, like I don't do things for like appearances or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I don't have time for that fake stuff. You know, we don't have like forced networking. No. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, I haven't been to a media event in so long, but I feel like you have, but like, yeah, I can't do that. Sorry. I don't have the energy for it. And that's another thing I love discovering about myself once I was informed that I'm like an empath, which I guess is like problematic now. People are saying like being, I don't even know, but my old therapist told me that like she diagnosed me as an empath. And so realizing that like, I'm really sensitive to energy and all of these things, like, again, these were just very like eye-opening revelations for me um, and knowing that, yeah, you know, in addition to just like being better about setting boundaries, like in the workplace, like I can, I need to set boundaries in my personal life too. And knowing that, you know, if I don't want to do something that it's in my best interest to just not do it. Your gut feelings. Gut feelings. And something I did also really want to mention the book Gut by Julia Enders, life-changing everyone should read it. The gut brain access is very real and it is powerful. Everything is interconnected. Yeah. Gut stuff. I'm just all about gut health. That's really what it comes down to for me. And yeah. And then growing up in a whole kind of like diet culture time, like, you know, times are really different now. The kids today, I'm not going to say they have it easy because I'm sure things are probably like even more difficult with everything that's going on, but I'm glad that they at least sort of have this like pseudo like body positivity thing going on Mm -hmm. because we were the kids that nothing is as good as skinny tastes or we had no nothing tastes as good as skinny feels and then low rise jeans which were the worst thing ever and i couldn't wear that 100 now for listeners like you guys didn't know what i looked like as a kid like uh, at the age of and you won't know because we took everything down because we used to just post on Facebook because Instagram wasn't big. And I have completely, I think for the most part, removed my former identity. Oh yeah. No, my, my Facebook is um, it's in the garbage, but no, like when I was, when I was like 12, I was wearing size four women's jeans. So I, cause I could not fit in kids jeans. So with that being said, I was wearing gap women's size four jeans that needed to be completely cut in half to fit my length. So for me, even like thinking about low rise, that wasn't a thing. Not- it just like sends shivers down my spine. I have these jeans. Um, cause I've, my size has, I've always been like skin. I've always been slim. I I'd never identified as skinny. I used to literally be like, my pinky is 
skinny and I'm like the pointer finger, you know, like whatever. (laughs) So I've just always been slim because of a lot of, you know, these sports that I did. And then my mom always had me on a pretty like healthy diet. Like I was bringing chickpeas to school for snack time in elementary school and people would make fun of me, but then they didn't know what it was. So I could trade like chickpeas for gushers. Um, (laughs) and, and that's uh, where Sydney got her negotiation skills. Oh yeah. I'm a great negotiator. Let me tell you. Yeah. So I was just always kind of on that healthy wave before it was really like, you know, the norm. Mm -hmm. So I was obsessed with Lucky Brand in high school. That became like my favorite place to shop because I wasn't going to do the whole like true religion gene thing, but my mom would let me shop at Lucky. So we had a Lucky store in this place called The Promenade. And Sydney, this the mall beside my house was called the Promenade, and we had a lucky brand jeans there too. It was, you know, an institution. I could do a whole episode just about mall culture (laughs) because we have like my town is known for the mall in town. It's like the mall of South Jersey. And so, but this little area, this isn't a mall, it's just a little shopping center called the Promenade. And so they had this lucky store and my mom would let me buy the jeans there and they were like a little more mid-rise, but I had this pair that I absolutely adored. I still have them and they're like mm-hmm. kind of patchworks. It's like they were ripped, but then the rips had a piece of cloth that had like hand sewn little flowers. So it all almost looks like patchwork and I can show you them. I'll grab them soon, but I loved these pants. I wore them like all the time if I could, you know, put them on. And recently because I've changed sizes a little bit over the years, but mostly now it's like, I've actually kind of gotten like a little bit slimmer. So I just assumed I was like, oh, I could definitely fit into these pants. They're like a size, I think like a 26 or like a 25 or something like that. And I tried to put them on. I literally cannot get these pants like up my thighs because they were low rise. And it's so upsetting because I should be able to fit these pants. And I cannot. And that's why low rise jeans suck because. Well, they're bringing back the trend of the mini mini skirt. Like for who? I mean, have fun with that. The girlies can have fun. I will not be participating. I dress purely for myself and for comfort. I don't know what I'm going to wear to this little shindig tonight, but I've always I've always been that way. It's like I just wear whatever I like. And I was trying to dress like Zoe Kravitz when I was in high school. Like she was like my style god. She's honestly still is. I feel like honestly, though, with Zoe, she just walks into the row and takes whatever she wants and leaves. Well, now, like, but like back then, yeah. she's tested so. Like you could you could replicate her look back in the day, just going to Urban Outfitters. Yeah. And I should also mention, like where I grew up, we had one of the first Urban Outfitters, like outside of Philly. So it was like a very big deal. We had it in the mall, and I used to shop there. And then I would go to school, and people would be like, "Where did you get that?" And I'd be like, "Oh, just this store called like Urban Outfitters." And it was just like a phenomenon. And you know, I actually I did. Fun fact, I worked retail at Urban for like two years in college. Oh my God, they had the best staff discount because you could have like 10 of your friends on your discount, right? Yeah. And you could use it at Anthro, yeah. Free People, like all of the sister brands. Um, it was it was a blast. But yeah, I went from like Urban to Madewell. And then I, you know, 
got my full-time job. So I didn't have to work in retail anymore, but sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just like leave it all behind and just like work for like a day. And then I can just like freelance when I want. I would work. I would work at a luxury retailer now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Product hire me, please. (laughs) (laughs) Essence. I got recruited one time when I visited Essence when I was in Montreal because I was talking, you know, to the people working and I knew a lot of things. They were like, oh, like, do you need a job? And I was like, oh no, I only kind of have one. I'm visiting, but thanks. <laughs> but Essence Editorial, call me. <laughs> if you're listening, I would love to write. I do want to say, because I remember earlier in our conversation, you talking about, you know, like the idea of like having these dream jobs, you know, and it's been interesting because in recent years, like I'd say over the past maybe like three years, I find myself kind of having this little, I don't want to call it like a crisis, but basically like I have a conversation with myself. And I remember like when I kind of hit that, I guess it wasn't really like the five year from college mark, but really like the five year, yeah, the five year mark from like of graduating from high school and, you know, having that job that, you know, yeah, was definitely would be considered a dream job, Mm -hmm. but then it was kind of like, okay, but what's next? And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh, I always had a five-year plan and it's like, but I completed my five-year plan. So what do I do now? And from there, I just started realizing that like, it's okay to not have a life plan and to leave some things open-ended and to just like, see what, see what, you know, comes onto the path and to just like try things that you maybe never thought you would have done before. And yeah, when I, that's what makes life so exciting and fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's why, like, when people ask me the way, well, like, oh, like you're like living the dream or like, is this like you're even with the AD thing, right? People are like, oh my God, that must be like your dream job. Cause you know, I always say like, I never would have applied for a design editor position. I, wouldn't have filled anything out for any of these roles because I honestly didn't really think that I was qualified, not in terms of like the editorial experience, but because I don't have a background in this particular subject. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to sound too like anti-capitalistic when I say this, but it's just like, I don't dream of labor. So (laughs) I'm a Taurus. I just don't. So to me, the dream is to not have to work to survive. You know, it's like, I just whatever job like a job is a job but it's great when you can actually like enjoy to some degree what you're doing but I think that you know we all need to be realistic and understanding that you know like I said a job is a job there are going to be things that you don't like about it Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that everything is worth putting up with but you know there's a lot of administrative stuff when you're doing the full-time gigs like the traditional full-time job and you know, I just, I'm really grateful that I can wake up every day and have this job and, you know, know that like I was chosen to do it. Like that to me is what's probably the most inspiring aspect of it. It's like, I was chosen, I was selected to be able to do this. And then also having an opportunity to kind of like execute my visions and share things that I think are important or work with people that I think are really, you know, like promising or that I just want to be able to kind of, again, like share the space with me. But, um, you know, I don't at this point, yeah, like, I don't know really what a dream job for me would be aside from, yeah, maybe, you know, it's just like having your own business and doing something like, and not having to have a budget and, you know, like all these things, but it's like, I, I kind of dream bigger than a job. 
Like I, I dream, have a dream life, but I don't know about Amen. a job. Amen. Okay, Sydney, we have been chatting and chatting. Yeah, good luck to you editing this. Ooh, you have the hard job. And I mean, I understand because this is what I do. I'm just, I, I'm not, my work is not in the form of a pod. <laughs> Sydney, you're my favorite person to talk to. <laughs> I'm really glad. I was... I was a little nervous, you know, that, I mean, I have a lot I can talk about, but I'm just like, in comparison to a lot of these other guests, I'm just like, I'm very, I'm a different type. Of- it's okay. We're, we have, there's space for absolutely everyone, but also I'm very proud of you because you are so media trained and you were able to let loose. I am so proud of you, Sydney. <laughs> I'm always, again, I'm a Taurus. Hello. I know how to have a good time, but you know, I just think that also having the experience right where I interview people um, and especially you know celebrities high profile people I know exactly what it's like to interview someone that just only answers the questions and is not willing to like open up or go there but I mean it's different too because I know you and you're my friend so you know I'm gonna tell you more things than I maybe would have told like the last person who interviewed me for a podcast but like yeah you know these are the things that make the story's interesting. These are the things that make the narrative compelling. And I I totally get it because yeah, when I'm able to have those moments with people for the stories that I tell, it just is a completely different experience, both as like a writer and a reader and with building those relationships. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. Should I start a podcast? People tell me all the time. They're like, I feel like you should. You would actually be, you'd be really good at it. But with all that to say, Sid, I, we gotta wrap it up. Wrap it up. What are we ending what on? What we're ending on is just some. I know you're gonna say resting. I was gonna say, what are you looking forward to most in the coming weeks? In the coming weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am working on a lot of end of year stories that I'm looking forward to people reading, like doing a bit of trend forecasting. Uh, I got something talking about checkerboard. So that'll be fun for everyone. And I have a fun little freelance story that I'm doing for W. I can't share too much because like it's not done yet, but it'll be great when everyone sees it. I hope that, you know, there's a lot of momentum Mm -hmm. around it. But yeah, obviously, yeah, I'm just looking forward to having time off and to rest and recalibrate. And then for 2022, I just, yeah, I have a lot of big ideas. Um, I'm working now on just kind of thinking about like what I want to manifest and like intentions and things like that. But truthfully, I I just want to kind of ease into the year and um, I'm really going to be buckling down on budgeting for 2022 so it is time financial health is wellness financial health is wealth oh yeah yeah, (laughs) literally you got it babe okay well thank you for coming on Sid thank you for having me this was lovely I didn't even really feel like I was being interviewed (gasps) that's how I feel when you interview me (laughs) (laughs) the key you know if you're it's not even about being a people person it's just like if you're able to have to hold a conversation with someone like that is the key 